Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your host is Becky Olson. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Becky Olson. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Becky Olson. I'm the co-founder of Breast Friends, and we are in our 20th year as an organization, and I just can't believe how fast the time goes by. I'm also a five-time survivor of advanced stage breast cancer. I'm a motivational speaker, a speaker mentor, and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And my book is available as a hardback, Kindle format, and audiobook format. And the reason I'm telling you that is because, as always, 10% of all my net sales are donated to Breast Friends to help keep this program going. So with that, our guest today is a delightful woman who I just recently connected with. Her name is Andrea Wilson-Woods. She is the author of a book called Better Off Bald, which is a personal narrative on the loss of her sister. And, you know, I have to tell you, she sent me a copy of her book and there are, you know, I I always have, I have this, this kind of belief that if a book can't captivate me in the first couple of pages, I won't pick it up again. And her book is exactly the opposite of that. Her book is very captivating and I can't wait to dig in, but it's a big book and I'm a slow reader, so it's going to take me a little while. But I also noticed that she's got tremendous reviews on there from a whole bunch of people in the medical community and they're talking about just how poignant her story is and how humorous it is and I I can't wait to really dive into this thing deep so I'm really excited to have her on here we're going to talk about how to use your story to change the world welcome Andrea thanks for joining us today thank you for having me Becky well why don't you just take a minute tell us about yourself and what you do Sure. So as you stated, I'm an author. My book is coming out in two weeks. I'm a writer, a coach, a patient advocate, and an entrepreneur. I'm the president and founder of Blue Fairy, the Adrian Wilson Liver Cancer Association, one of the few nonprofits in the United States specifically dedicated to fighting primary liver cancer. And I'm also the CEO and co-founder of Cancer University, or as we like to call it, Cancer U which is a for-profit social benefit health tech startup. Wow. And so obviously there's a a reason you got into all of this. So why don't you tell us, how did you get into this field? Sure. When I was 22 years old, I got custody of my half-sister, Adrienne, who was eight at the time. I raised her all through my 20s until she was diagnosed with stage four liver cancer one month after her 15th birthday, and she lived only 147 days Mm. with that cancer diagnosis. Which is part of the title, Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days. Yes. Yeah. So I I have a question for you. You said you had custody of her from the time she was eight. How old were you? I was 22 when I got custody of her. Oh, wow. Wow, that well, good for you. That's super admirable. I really, I really mean that. Um, so that would certainly explain why you would, you know, kind of go down this path. Uh, and I know we're going to talk more about that. But what are you working on right now? Well, right now I'm working on getting a seed round for Cancer University. I actually pitched to investors last week in Boston, and I have a few more opportunities coming up. And we are also working on a pilot program 
for Cancer U as well with one of the largest NCI centers in the country. I wish I could say which one it is, but I cannot. (laughs) That's Um, okay. And as far as Blue Fairy, we will celebrate, oh my gosh, I need to do the math. We will celebrate 17 years in December and we are still going very strong. And fairy is not spelled in the normal way you spell fairy, right? Correct. So fairy is spelled F-A-E-R-Y, and that's because that's the spelling Adrian preferred. And would you like to hear how we got the name? Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about that. Okay. So when I was starting the organization, I knew we needed to have liver cancer in the name so people knew what we did. And of course, I wanted it named after my sister in memory of her and her liver cancer battle. But I felt like from a marketing and branding standpoint, something was missing, and I just couldn't see what it was. So I sent out an email to 10 people, all of whom were sort of close friends of mine and were aunts and uncles to Adrian, and they were there for her cancer journey. And every single person came back with some version of Blue Fairy, because blue was Adrian's favorite color. In fact, when she was diagnosed, she had blue hair. And I love that. I know. And and, and it looked good, too. And when she began losing her hair, she got a blue wig to, as she said, maintain her look. And she loved fairies. And that summer, she actually bought some blue monarch butterfly wings and started wearing them everywhere. (laughs) And so we just started calling her our blue fairy that summer. So everyone else saw what, what I did not. It was right there. Oh, that is so sweet. I love I, your sister sounds like like a, a, an amazing person, and we're going to hear more about her. But I wanted to ask you a question. I know that you mentioned to me that you fought a bill in Congress, and something happened while you were doing that that kind of helped you change your messaging and to using your story to change the world. Why don't you tell us just quickly about that? You know, what what were you fighting, and and what did you witness that made you? kind of rethink this whole thing? Well, I was working with several other organizations on getting the fire, excuse me, the Viral Hepatitis Testing Act passed, which would have made it mandatory for all baby boomers born between 1945 and 1965 to get a one-time hepatitis C test. Hepatitis C being the primary cause of liver cancer here Uh in the U.S. And I realized very quickly on that you can say all the numbers you want in the world. For example, primary liver cancer is the second most common cause of cancer deaths worldwide. That's a big number, and nobody cares. When I started telling my sister's story, people started paying attention. And that's when I realized that it's stories that can really change the world, not numbers. I so agree with that. You know, and and I've been speaking and sharing my story since 2003. And the one thing I don't do when I'm on a stage is give a bunch of statistics, you know, because you're right. People will glaze over. Yeah. And what they really do care about is the story. And it's, I kind of call it the so what factor. It's, you know, so you're, so what, what are you, why are you telling me this? And, and that you can always find the so what's in the story. And I just, I, I can't agree with you more. So, well, good for you. I'm glad you had that experience in, you know, with the members of Congress, um, just because it's, you know, it kind of helped open your eyes and, and you're, you are now changing the world. And I can't wait for your book to come out. I, it's going to be very exciting. Um, we'll have to 
have you on again after it comes out at some point in time and we'll talk about it some more. But um, so having lost your sister, Adrian, to liver cancer, which we know is a very aggressive disease, do you find it difficult to balance expressing yourself and the magnitude of her experience without invading her privacy? Yes, I think it's a delicate balance. I think Mark Twain said this quote, it's not what you put into your book, it's what you take out of the book. Okay. And even though the book is long, a lot was taken out after the first, second, and third drafts um, to sort of streamline the story and keep it focused and mm-hmm. on track. Um, however, there was one incident which I really debated putting in the story, um, and it's not a spoiler. So um, Adrian had a severe case of constipation at one point that we ended up in the ER because of it. And it was embarrassing for her, um, borderline humiliating. And I almost didn't put it in the book, but then I thought about it and realized that constipation is a very common problem if you are on heavy pain medication like she was. Mm -hmm. And it's also very manageable. And I, as the caregiver, actually had not been on top of it. I mean, a teenager does not want to be asked about her bowel movements, right? Right, <laughs> right. But if and I they're sure not going to answer the question if you oh, ask. <laughs> oh no! And so, and so, you know, but because I wasn't on top of it and paying more attention, I tracked everything, but I wasn't tracking that. She had this very difficult twenty-four to thirty-six hours that never should have happened, and so I realized it was actually important to keep that in the story. Well, let me ask you this question because I know, you know, some of our people who are listening to this episode, you know, they're having issues like that with constipation and maybe they're not seeking help. And you said there is, there is help for that. So what, what do you recommend that, you know, what, what worked for Adrian, you know, once you got her back home to make sure it didn't happen to her again? Is there, is there something you can do? Well, I'll preface this by saying I'm not a medical provider. Right. (laughs) right. But you're a caregiver and and you witnessed the the worst of this and so you have some expertise I don't think you have to be a medical person to have expertise in certain areas so well I began Um, monitoring not only just her diet but her fluid intake she was also getting dehydrated so she just wasn't taking in enough water and so and she hated water she said as water had no taste (laughs) as she said it ideally that's right and yeah it's not supposed to have taste but I convinced her to drink uh, Powerade, blue Powerade, of course, and she liked that. And so increasing her water intake, um, actually monitoring her bowel movements. She didn't like it, but I asked her every single day and kept on top of it. Um, We found sort of the the typical over-the-counter, even the prescription version of Paracolase did not work for her, and so she needed to take Marillax. But okay. we really just kept on top of it more than anything else. I paid attention, and the goal was for her to have one bowel movement a day. Yeah, and so that that's good. Thank you for sharing that. I know we weren't planning to talk about, <laughs> you know, in depth about all that, but it's okay because I think people need to hear it, you know. And it, like you said, especially when you're on, you know, pain meds, it will definitely have that you know, impact on you. So, so why don't you, you know, we know a little bit about Adrian now because of the blue fairy, but why don't you just take a few minutes and and talk talk about uh, talk about Adrian just for a couple minutes. Um sure. So, you know, Adrian was my child and I was there from the the day she was born. 
and she was my sister and I was really looking forward to the day that she would become my best friend. We, we had this very hard rule in our house that I was her parent first, then her sister and then her friend. And that was the hierarchy of things. It was very important to establish that um, very early on. And she was everything to me. I mean, and she was a young spirit, but a very old soul. That's actually the epitaph on her tombstone. And she was, for example, doing yoga before yoga was cool. (laughs) I mean, before I even stepped into a yoga class. And um, she was very much her own person. And she was really, at that time in her life, after having a few difficult years in middle school, coming into her own. And she was a leader, even though she didn't want to be one. I mean, she just had this magnetism that attracted people Mm -hmm. from all these different groups in high school. In fact, at her memorial service, there was this cheerleader from the high school who spoke. And she said, and and they had honors classes together. And she said, I'm the girl that Adrian loved to pretend to hate. (laughs) and I knew exactly what she meant you know but you know she just had this way with people she was wicked smart she had a 4.0 she was planning to go to college even from the time she was six years old and she was incredibly funny she could always make me laugh well she sounds like a person that I think we all would have loved to have known so thank you for for sharing that and I know in your book you write about watching her condition deteriorate over what really was a short period of time, 147 days is just nothing. And you take readers along you know, for the journey with you as you move through all these different stages from grief and ultimately come to terms with having to part ways with her. And why did you decide to write this story? Well, I always wanted to write about me and Adrian because... I knew our connection was so incredibly special and the circumstances um, that occurred that where I ended up raising her, but I did not think this would be the story that I would write. Um, however, it was very important for Adrian to tell people about her cancer, to explain how it happened. In fact, one of the items on her bucket list that did not happen was she wanted to go on the Montel Williams show. And mm-hmm. if for your viewers who don't know who Montel Williams is, they need to just Google. And But he had a very popular talk show at the time based out of New York City. And by the time the producer called, it, she was just too sick to travel. We were living in Los Angeles and it was just going to be too difficult to get her to the show. But she wanted people to know. And so I wanted to carry that forward in her memory. The book is not only to tell people about liver cancer but it's also to share her story and her experience with it. Well, I think it's delightful. I've, I, I met Montel Williams many years ago when I was work, <laughs> when I when my husband and I lived in in Medford, Oregon. Um, I worked for the Chamber of Commerce, and we sponsored him to come and speak to the one of the high schools there. And I got there just as they were getting ready to introduce him, and I will never forget this moment because it was electrifying. He was in the foyer into the gymnasium. And, you know, you could see through the windows that, that both sides of the gymnasium were packed with people. It was kind of a mandatory thing. They all had to go. And and I'm going to say this, and I, and I know this is going to really probably tick off some people, but it's true. <laughs> Medford was a very white town. And, um, and, and I, I mean, there were probably 
five, if that, African-American people in, in that whole town. Well, Montel Williams, of course, is African-American. And I wasn't sure how he would be received. But when I walked into the foyer, he was there. He had his back to me because he was ready to kind of burst through the doors. But he was wearing all black, and he had the microphone in his hand, and he was pumping himself up, and he was bouncing, <laughs> he was bouncing up and down, literally bouncing up and down waiting for them to introduce him. So I I waited till they did because I could say it was going to happen any minute and I didn't want to you know, <laughs> burst his bubble at all. When they introduced him, he pushed his way through the double doors and right down the center of that gymnasium. And I mean, he was just running up to the stage and I thought, wow, look at that energy that this man, and they, by the end of this, this program that he had the audience, all these kids in the palm of his hand, they were up on the stage participating he was talking trying to talk to them about being stupid making stupid decisions and and I'll I'll never forget this he brought three students up on stage and asked them about presidents naming the presidents from you know current to going back and see how far back he could go and the first person that could go the furthest back he handed him ten dollars and he says when you leave this school people will pay you for what you know so don't be stupid while you're here learn stuff (laughs) I and it. I just thought, you know, what a great, great guy. And I mean, he had kids acting out scenarios with bad dates and boys putting pressure on girls to have sex. I mean, it was it was brilliant. And and I was just in awe of, of that whole thing. So anyway, <laughs> we are going to go out to break. OK, when we come back, um, I just want I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the lessons you learned along the way in writing this book. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone. 
and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking with author Andrea Wilson-Woods about how to use your story to change the world. And just before we went out to break, we were talking about her sister, Adrian, who is the subject of her book. And I, I just wanted to ask you a question. Can you tell us a little bit about what the journey was like for you as you were writing this and maybe talk about some of the lessons you learned along the way? Would that be all right? Sure. Well, as you well know, Becky, when you hear the C word, as I call it, mm, whether yeah. it's you have cancer or your child has cancer, your life changes forever. I mean, it's a very before cancer and after cancer mm-hmm. moment. And I think that diagnosis puts you into a reactive state and life changes every single day, whether it's deciding on a treatment, whether it's, you know, fighting the side effects of treatment, whether it's being in the hospital, being at home, and you don't have a choice but to adapt. And yet I found myself after Adrian died having a very difficult time with change. And I have realized that fear of change is the biggest fear most people have. It can be different types of change, but we just have this fear of change. And I don't know who said this, but courage is not lack of fear. Courage is having the fear and moving forward anyway. And yes, it was, I agree. Yeah. And it was, it was very tough for me and it took, took a long time, but, but slowly I really started to embrace change and realize that you cannot grow as a person physically, mentally, um, emotionally, or spiritually, unless you're willing to change. As far as writing the book, I actually wrote the book in Adrian's bedroom, in the room that she died in, in my home in Southern California. And that's a great example of, for a long time, I could not let go of that place. I couldn't let go of that house. Um, I had gotten married. I could not let go of of a marriage that was failing because... I thought if I left that house, I was somehow leaving Adrian behind, which is ludicrous. She's with me every single day. And that was one of the major changes that I made only now about five years ago where I just decided I wasn't happy living in Los Angeles and I didn't need to live in Los Angeles. I could live anywhere and work from anywhere. And when I made that change, which was probably the most significant one in, in the last 10 years of my life, everything in my life improved for me. Absolutely everything. But it was such a, a difficult thing to do. Well, I, so you ended up in Alabama after that, right? That's where you are now? Is Alabama, if I remember right? That is correct. I am in Birmingham, Alabama, and this is actually the city where Adrian was born. Yeah, and then you guys moved to, to Los Angeles and then back again. So you kind of just found your way back home, it sounds like. 
Yeah, I did. I, I was raised all over the Southeast. All of my family's in the Southeast. And when I was just trying to decide where to move, um, actually, Oregon was at the top of my list because oh. I love Oregon. Well, <laughs> oh, you should. It's beautiful here. <laughs> uh, are you kidding? Oh, my favorite city is Gold Beach. I love yeah. Oregon. Yeah. But I just realized I wanted to be closer to family and I figured that this would be a good place to start over, and um, it was the right decision for me. Good for you. You know, I love I love one of the lines, the, probably the last, it is the last line on the back of your book, um, where you're kind of dis- describing Adrian and the journey. It says, as she lay dying, Adrian teaches Andrea how to live. Mm-hmm. And I, I just love that. That's that's a beautiful, beautiful thought. You know, we, we all have an impact on this world, and your sister was no exception to that. So um, God bless her and God bless you for doing what you did. I mean, taking her on as your daughter, you know, at age 22. And I mean, she was eight. That's that's amazing. So, all right, well, let's Thank move you. on. Um, you know, and you are someone who really understands what it's like to lose, lose a loved one to a terminal illness. And we have people in our audience that have dealt with that. Um, and I know that people... When people hear that you just lost a loved one or even like, you know, you yourself are diagnosed with with cancer, people try to connect and they try to relate. But sometimes they say really what turns out to be very insensitive things and they don't mean to. But, you know, they, they might look at you. They ask you uncomfortable questions. You know, are there things that, in your opinion, are better left unsaid when talking to someone with cancer or to their loved ones? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> um, I figured you'd probably say yes. Yeah, so yes, tell, yeah. tell us about that. Uh, two things come to mind. One seemingly innocuous question is, what's the prognosis? Mm. Don't ask that question because I promise you, if the prognosis is good, that caregiver or patient will tell you. you know, mm-hmm. They will let you know. It's probably one of the first things they'll say. Oh, I have this cancer, but I'm doing well. And the doctor says this, you know. If you have to ask what's the prognosis, I can almost guarantee the prognosis is not good. And Good point. Very good point. Thank you. And another one that a good friend of mine at the time said to me on the phone, and of course I thought of the perfect response, you know, hours later. She said, God only gives you what you can handle. <laughs> and um, and I, I was speechless when she said that to me. And we, we got off the phone because I didn't even know what to say. And if you take that statement, however well-intentioned it may be, to its logical conclusion, you're saying, in my instance, that because Adrian and I were strong people, she received a terminal diagnosis of cancer at 15 years old. So if we had been weaker, perhaps that wouldn't have happened. I mean, it, it doesn't even make sense. And also, it's extremely insensitive. insensitive. You know, and I know, again, people try to try to be supportive and they try to say supportive things. Um, but it's just, I remember one time, it was my third, my third diagnosis. And, you know, I always try to find the blessings. And, you know, people ask me all the time, why is it that you feel like you've survived this so many times? And, you know, I try to find the blessings in everything that happens to me. And sometimes they're hard to see. But if you look, if you look, I mean, this may, I hope this doesn't sound insensitive, but that last line on the back of your book, the one I just quoted, as she lay dying, Adrian teaches Andrea how to live. That's a blessing. You know, so even in that 
that passing of your beautiful sister, there was there was a blessing that came from that. And I try to find those blessings. And, I, you know, you get to meet people that you would never have met. There's just a lot of things that that can come to light when you're going through something like this, you know, and, and you look, you try to be proactive and not just reactive all the time. And these are things that, that come. But I remember doing my third diagnosis and this one was, it was like, I already had a double mastectomy after my second one. I didn't want to play anymore. And here I am playing yet again. And this woman from a pharmaceutical company came to our office and she was telling telling us, you know, and she knew I had just been diagnosed again, but, and I think she was trying to be supportive, but she said, you know, the good news about breast cancer is it's not a death sentence anymore. And when she said that, (laughs) I just kind of like, ha, you know, and, and I just clammed up and I, I could feel the hair on the back of my neck kind of stand up. I got goosebumps, not in a good way, but I just felt like she, she's trying to be supportive, but she doesn't get it because, you know, some people it, it is a death sentence for some. And for someone who just lost a loved one or they themselves are facing the potential for their own, you know, demise through because of cancer, that d- didn't ring true at all when she said that. And and I was sitting there and I got real quiet in this meeting. I just didn't say another word until the end of the meeting. And I and then I was thinking, Lord, why did this why did she say that? And what's what's the message there for me? And then it hit me like a ton of bricks. In my speeches that I'd been doing, I, I learned not to say cancer is not a death sentence anymore because it is um, for some. But what I would say was a variation that cancer isn't, breast cancer isn't necessarily a death sentence anymore. But that still wasn't good enough. And when she said that, I needed to feel what it felt like to hear those words. I needed to feel it. And, and God gave me that opportunity to feel it. And I knew that at that moment, is when I knew I had to change the end of my speeches because it still takes too many people. And, you know, so I did change the end of my speech. I don't say that anymore. And I say something completely different. So I had, but I had to feel it. I, you know, to, to hear it is one thing, but feeling it. And I think sometimes we go through things so that we can feel things and we can relate to them in a different way. And then we can change the world with that story. You know, and so I, I don't know, I, I hear what you're saying. But yeah, there are a lot of crazy things that people say that, um, that again, they don't mean to be hurtful. They, they're trying to relate. Like, you know, <laughs> I always love this one. Yeah, my, my mother or my mom's sister, my aunt had breast cancer and she died. Oh, thanks for that. That was helpful. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, <laughs> I, you know, I, you just reminded me, I hadn't thought about this in years. I had a coworker and this was, um, about six years after Adrian died, but she knew. And she said, yeah, cancer. And, and this woman was look, in her fifties. Cancer only happens to ugly people. And ah. she, she didn't mean ugly on, you know, physically ugly, but she meant people who were just emotionally and mentally ugly. And I just, I walked away. I mean, it took every yeah. ounce of willpower I had not to slap her. I mean, <laughs> and I didn't really speak to her after that unless I absolutely had to. I, I just couldn't. You know, <laughs> I got sucked in down the rabbit hole on one of these stupid Facebook pages where this okay. woman, not going to say her name, but she throws questions out there, just provocative questions. Just, I think she's, she's attracting trolls with that and people want to respond and, you know, get their two cents in. And, and I got sucked into one of those because she asked the question about, um, it was about cancer and, you know, are there alternative treatments that 
that can cure cancer. And so I thought that was an interesting question to pose. And then I started reading some of the answers. And some of the stuff I read, I just got sucked in deeper and deeper. And finally, I had to I had to pull myself out of it. But somebody had said on there that only guilty people get cancer. Probably uh-huh. You know, kind of consistent with what that person said that you heard. Only yeah. ugly people, ugly on the inside, and they're they feel guilty about stuff. And I'm thinking about a, a friend of mine who has a son who's like four, has a form of cancer that was just devastating, and he was in treatments. And I'm thinking, what is he guilty about? Yeah, you know, you're just so full of it. Don't don't talk like that. You know. And anyway, I went down this rabbit hole. So stay off Facebook. Because it's just not not a a good thing. Anyway, um, so what are some of the best and worst things? Let's talk about the best things to say when our loved ones are hurting. (laughs) Excuse me. Um, I think one of the best things to say is I'm sorry. And if you're capable, how can I help? And then the onus is on the patient or caregiver to be very specific in what they ask because most people really do want to help, but they just don't know what to do. And a great example is when Adrienne was diagnosed, she got several wigs um, of all different colors, blue, red, lime green, you know, good for her. And she wanted to store them properly. And she wanted those plastic styrofoam wig heads and, the only store that I knew who carried them was, you know, not that far from our house, but in LA, it was about time and traffic. It would take a long time. And then I remembered a friend, not a super close friend, but a friend who said, how can I help? I remember she lived right down the street from the store. And I thought, wow, if she can do this for us, that saves me three hours right there. And that's so critical. And I called her up and I said, hey, this is going to sound crazy, but Adrian wants these four styrofoam wig heads. And she's like, got it. I'm on it. And she went, she got them. She brought them to our house. And it was a small gesture, but it meant so much to Adrian. And it meant so much to me because that was three hours out of my day that I didn't have to take to go do this one small errand. That is a brilliant example of what you can do to help. And you know, and the first the first rule of thumb, if, if you offer to help or if you say to the person, and, and this this gets said often, but then people leave it here. They say, if, there, if there's anything I can do, let me know. And the patient or the caregiver will say, that's really great. Thank you. You know, I will. And But they won't. So don't right. leave it there, right? Check back and see what can I do for you today, like, you know, shortly or whatever. But the the first rule of thumb on that is don't offer unless you mean it. Yes. Because imagine if you would have said to your friend, you know, here's what we really need. And it's right down the street from you. It's just, you know, and how long did that take her to do? Like you said, a small thing. But what if she would have said, you know, I can't do it today. I'm I'm too busy. And then she never gets back to you. Right. You know, you'll you'll never ask her for another thing. You might not ask anybody for anything because yeah the one person you thought you could count on let you down. So it's okay to say, what can I do for you? Or let me know if there's anything I can do for you, but don't leave it there. Don't wait for the person to call you back because they probably won't. So just call, think of something you can do or like, you know, I'm going to the grocery store. What can, what's on your list? What can I bring you? Right. You know, I'm going anyway. So, you know, um, you know, there's just find something proactive that you can actually do and and just reach out and help because those little gestures, those little moments can mean so much. And like you said, it saves three hours off your day by what she did. And so what was maybe a little gesture for her was huge for you. 
right. meant the world to your sister. So it's, you know, you just, you can change the world that way, you know, just by being open to doing that little thing for somebody. And, you know, I just, I think sometimes we think we have to do something big and huge to make a difference. We don't. I have a friend who gave me a crazy little dumb hat that changed, it rocked my world and changed everything for me. And <laughs> you know, it's, that's the subject of my book, although it's only a little piece of my book, but, um, but it's the hat that saved my life. And it was just this dumb little baseball cap that said no hair day on the front. And when I got <laughs> I that, it. I was able to laugh. I was able to wear that hat out in public and people would laugh and smile with me. And instead of staring at me and pitying me, they could laugh with me and that changed everything. So, and she never thought of that as any kind of a gesture at all, but it was, it was huge. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so what, what are some of the, so that's one example of what, what people can do. Um, what are the right words? How do we find the right words in the right moment? And then we're going to go out to break. I, I really think the best thing you can say is, I'm sorry. Yeah. Because, because beyond that, you are likely to say something that, could be offensive or just insensitive. And an, another one I just couldn't stand, and this was after Adrian died, was, well, she's no longer in pain. Yeah, she's in a better place now. Oh, yeah, that one too. Yeah. And it's like, uh, duh, I know she's no longer in pain, but that doesn't take away my pain. And, right. And right. I don't know that she's in a better place. How do you know that? And, and it just it really caused me to be very defensive and to shut down. Yeah, I can see how that can happen. Um, and, and I guess that's where faith comes in, you know, just to to know that and feel it in your heart, you know. But but it's hard. It's hard when you're hurting to feel that, you know. And I mean, even, even like right now, I'm in the middle of my fifth diagnosis. I'm actually in my fifth diagnosis, and now it's stage four. It's in my lungs. And so I'm battling this. I, I, I take a I take a pill, a cancer pill twice a day, and I have a bag full of medicines to manage the symptoms and the side effects. And there are some days that they won't even manage it. So, you know, on days like that, I I kind of have those little pity parties for me. And it's easy to kind of lose hope and lose faith during those times. And um, and I've got some some things that I that I do to try to get the ball rolling another direction. But but it's it really comes for me, for me, it comes down to faith you know, that, that there is a plan for my life. I just don't always know what it is, you know? <laughs> and, um, and I, and I believe that there is something that we'll figure out in our own time. So, um, okay, we are going to actually go out to break. So with that, we will come back and pick up um, on some other really awesome conversations. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a crossing shield and the power of a card that 
opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Tune into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking with author Andrea Wilson-Woods about how to use your story to change the world. And I'm going to ask you a question, and I hope this doesn't come off as insensitive. But how, in your opinion, how does one go on living when they learn that their life is ending? Well, as I like to tell people, we all have two things in common. All of us, the, the, every human on, the, in, on earth, we are all born and we all die and yet in this country at least we don't want to talk about death and I think it's an important conversation to have and you know with Adrian, I think she just knew uh, going back and now that I've actually read her journal which I did not read at the time she knew and she made a bucket list and even though she made a bucket list I didn't really want to acknowledge that's what she was doing but she did and she made a list of everything she'd ever wanted to do and did her best to check everything off, including favorite uh, meeting her favorite musician, Dave Navarro of Jane's Addiction, not once, but twice. Um, wow. She met Jay Leno, too, didn't she? She did. Um, that's how she met Dave Navarro the first time. And, and I didn't do any of this, by the way. I mean, this, she just decided, okay, I, I have cancer. What do I need to do? What can I do right now? And so she got tickets to The Tonight Show. And we had backstage passes in the green green room. And oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, we met Jay Leno after the show, and, and he introduced her to Dave Navarro. Oh, my gosh. That is amazing. Oh, I just got goosebumps. <laughs> good for good for her. You know, it, it's, a, it's a tough thing, you know, and I know that you talk about the seven stages that a person goes through when they realize, you know, that, that the end is coming. And, you know, I think we all go through well, we all will <laughs> go through different yeah. stages, I'm sure. Well, okay, thank you for letting me ask you that question. And you also write about these devastating, tragic events that marked your life, but you wrote your book with humor. And Better Off Bald is not a gloomy or brooding book from what I'm reading in the testimonials. And how'd you do that? 
Well, joy is one of my core values. And by joy, I mean having a sense of humor and not taking yourself or life too seriously and just having fun. And I like to think that that rubbed off on Adrian because I watched her during these 147 days and she had so much courage and dignity and grace and most of all, humor. Mm, very sweet. Wow. Well, good for you. Um, all right. So let's let's move on to some other questions. And how did you manage to remain open to love in the face of fear? And I know you had a lot of that as you were watching your sister. I don't think I was open to love after she died. I mean, I, I loved her unconditionally. But after she died, you know, so much changed for me. And my boyfriend was the only father Adrian ever had. He came into our lives um, about two years after I had been raising Adrian. And his reaction to her death was to become incredibly angry all the time, every day, um, even turning to alcohol. And I was sad. I was very, very sad. And those two things don't mix well. And our relationship only lasted two more years after that. So I, I think it took a long time for me to be able to love again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I can understand that. And, you know, you were actually kind of acting as her parent. I mean, you, like, as you were describing first, you know, first you, you were her parent, then you were her sister, and then you were her friend. Right. And as, as a parent, of a child who's seriously ill, how do you manage, how do you manage that? And what what was that like? It's so devastating that the best way I managed was I lived in what I call a healthy state of denial. Like I just would not allow myself to believe that she wasn't going to make it, even though deep, deep, deep down I knew, and I won't ruin it for people because it's in a book. Um, I had these three premonitions and they all came true. Mm. And, Uh, But I couldn't live that way. I had to be sort of in a healthy state of denial because I needed to be her advocate. I needed to fight for what she wanted. And it was important for me to remain as strong as I possibly could. And I actually think in many ways, Adrienne protected me. And because she knew, she knew I couldn't really handle the thought of her dying. Mm Mm-hmm. And so how do you prepare your kids or younger siblings for a world we can't always protect them from? I think I'm going to cry. I, <laughs> I'm really feeling what you're saying. And, you know, this is really making me feel very emotional right now because I have five kids and four grandchildren. And I can't imagine the pain that you must have felt watching Adrian because I can, I mean, all that's all I can do is, is imagine it because, you know, it, the thought of losing one of my children or one of my grandchildren is just, I, I just can't, I can't relate necessarily, but I can, I can kind of guess or imagine it, but, but how do you do that? I think you need to have, if you're capable of having tough conversations, I mean, Adrian and I never talked about death and I, I wish we had, she was old enough to, to handle it certainly. And, um, I wish wish we'd had that conversation. Um, and I think also just honor what your child wants. I mean, Adrian was very assertive about things. For example, when she found out one of the first chemo drugs they tried would cause her to lose her hearing, she lost her mind because she was a musician. 
And she said, I'd rather be dead than deaf. And she Mm -hmm. absolutely refused to go forward unless we all agreed that if there was any sign of hearing loss, we would change the protocol. And sure enough, after two rounds, there was a slight hearing loss. And she said, I'm done. Find another drug. And as a parent, that's really hard. You know, I even joke in the book, like, I just wanted to kill her in that moment, which is very ironic. But I was just so frustrated. But I had to respect what she wanted. You know, I I can relate to that just a little bit, because when they found this cancer on this last scan, and it's actually been a year now, it was in October first week of October a year ago that we found that I had, that my cancer had spread to my lungs, but it was also right near my bronchial passage, my sternum. It was kind of right in there too. And I told them basically if they got in there to do the biopsy and they found that there was cancer on my vocal cords to leave them alone because the idea of spending the rest of my life not being able to speak or you know, talk to audiences or do this radio show, my life might as well just be over um, because I'm not, don't, don't go there. We'll try to, you know, do it a different way. But, uh, you know, so I can, you know, with your sister being a musician, I can understand that. It's, you know, we, we find, <laughs> we, we have our limits and our boundaries, right? That's right. So we have to be able to identify them. I at least she had the, the wherewithal to know that this is not something I am willing to do, you yeah. know, and um, so good for her. And what should we do when our loved ones are overwhelmed with grief? Do you have any suggestions for people in those first moments or weeks of dealing with a loss? Well, I don't think there's a timeline on grief. And I think you have to find your own way through it. I mean, what worked for me, especially in those first few months, was every day I made a list of about five things to do. And very manageable things. Some were small, like sending thank you notes to the people who gave donations to pay for Adrian's funeral all the way to painting her room because she'd always wanted a blue room. So I painted it pale blue and you know, every day I just had this list. Now I also had very bad days. I still remember this one day. It's so embarrassing that I watched four lifetime movies in a row, eight (laughs) hours of television, lying down on my side, mind you, on the couch. And I got up one time to go to the bathroom and to get ice cream. And that was it. And just know that it's okay if you have days like that too. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I do have days like that. And those are the days that you want to take off your Fitbit, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, I'm not getting my 10,000 steps in today, that's for sure. <laughs> so, oh, no, not at all. But, you know, when we call those, as you know, and everybody's heard the term the pity party, and yeah. it's okay to go to the pity party, just don't stay too long. That's yep. kind of the, the philosophy that we have. So so it, it it is okay to deal, and we're all going to deal with grief in our own ways. And like you said, there's no time, there's no timeline on, on grief, and it may take some people longer than others to to get past that, and that's okay. So if you're in that place right now, as a as a listener to our program, it's okay. Um, just just don't stay at the party too long, right. you know. Because that's your depression. <laughs> yeah, and depression can set in, you know. And um, so yeah, but thank you for that because I call that watching mindless television, laying on the couch and doing that, and you know, and it's easy <laughs> easy to get sucked into that. So um, we have about about three minutes left. Um, so I, I want to move right to uh, how was it for your family to be written about in your in your book? 
Well, my father was concerned, but he ended up loving the story, even though there were, there were some things in there that he had a hard time dealing with. My father and my stepmother were the only grandparents my sister ever had, because as I mentioned before, my sister's father died before she was born. And as for our mother, um, well, I fought our mother for legal custody and I, I won. So there's um, not a lot, of, a lot of love lost there. I have not spoken to my mother um, since one month after Adrian's death, so it's been almost 18 years, and I've not seen my mother since I testified against her in federal court in March of 2006, mm-hmm. and I will not do a spoiler if you want to find out why, you have to read the book. <laughs> All right, fair enough. And what do you hope readers take away from Better Off Bald? And I need the quick the quick answer here. I, I hope um, they realize that life is short. And if there's something they really want to do with their life, you can make it happen. But you're going to have to get past that fear of change and just go for it. Good. I love that. I love that. Now, we talked about Blue Fairy. It's named in memory of your sister. Is there a service that it provides for liver cancers or is is it mostly a fundraiser to raise money and awareness? Oh, no, we have a lot of educational um, services for patients and their caregivers, as well as a private online liver cancer community that is not a Facebook group. I want to emphasize that. Okay. Good. Why don't you tell us how to reach that? And, and again, the quick the quick one, we have a minute left. So um, give us sure. some, some information on how to reach you about Blue Fairy or about Cancer University. Sure. To reach Blue Fairy, just go to bluefairy.org, B-L-U-E-F-A-E-R-Y.org. And to reach Cancer University, just go to cancer.university. Love it. Is that dot .com or? No, dot .university. Dot .university. Actually. Oh, didn't know that was a, a hand thing. I know. Anyway, um, so we don't really have time to talk about the products or services, but we do encourage people to go to cancer.university and check out what you guys do because, I, you know, your your story is phenomenal and what you're doing is, is great and the awareness that you're raising and the services you're providing are tremendous. So thank you so much, Andrea, for being a guest on my show, for taking time out of your schedule to do this with us. Um and just to, for those who don't know, our, this podcast is available on every podcast platform out there, um, thanks to the, the good work that our, our producers do. Um, so with that, we'll be back next week. And until then, remember, there is always hope, and we are here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 12 o'clock noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we are here to help you find it. We'll talk again next time.